Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. We are people who want to understand God's will. We come to times such as these to be reminded to grow deeper in our understanding, to find verification for what we already think to be true. There are all kinds of reasons. We have other studies going, both with groups and in private, and we just constantly are wanting. We are people of the Word, and we want to know God's will. When we think about God's will, as I said this morning, we want God to be specific. That's what we're thinking in our heads. So tonight, I want us to be more practical and really figure out, is there a way that can help us to know, to have confidence, assurance that we are in the will of God? Now, I want to begin with this passage because until studying for this lesson, I had not dug deeply into it before, but I like what is going on here. I want you to notice what he's saying. Now, God, God who raised Jesus, this is his desire. This is what he says about himself. Notice, I'm going to make you complete to do my will. It seems to me that not only is God wanting to help, but we can't even do God's will without His help. Now certainly we can do good things. I'm not denying that there are people in the world who do good things or who practice and believe things that are good. James chapter 1 about verse 12 tells us that all good things come from God. So anything that's in the world that's good, and I think that concept is in its nature. It's a concept of morality. It's a concept of quality. Anything that is good comes from God. And so there are people even who disbelieve God, who actively refute God who do good things. And to me, that's just a testimony that God can use anyone. And God is at work whether we want Him specifically or not. So this is not about saying that we can only do good with God. But what it is saying is we can only do His will with God. Therefore, it, comes, it becomes important for us to identify what the will of God is. And we will do that as we think about some things tonight. Notice also in this verse, He not only makes us complete to do His will, but He works His will from our inside out. God is there in us, working through us to do that will. And third... It's about pleasing Him. It's about God working with us 
to please him. And so this concept of the will of God, in order to understand whether I'm there or not, well, I have to be able to understand what the will of God is. What's he talking about? What is the point? Well, as it pertains to our discussion, as it pertains to the things that are on our minds, as it pertains to the questions or the, the things we think of God and we say, God, I just want to know what you want me to do. Will you just tell me? Give me some sign. Show me a way that I can say, oh, okay, I got it now. This is absolutely it. Well, I think the better way, if you will, the biblical way of describing that is to say, God, will you open a door for me? And that's biblical. Because that's exactly what God does. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul said he came to Troas and God has opened a door. I think God is in the door opening business. So, when I'm looking to do the will of God, I am looking for a door that God has opened. Number two, God is in the door opening business in order to energize His ultimate will. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. Well, I think that was the first one. This is 1 Corinthians 16, 9. The point is, God opened an effective door. An effective door. That word means energized. God, for Paul, who went there to preach, God energized what Paul was trying to do. God was working with Paul to stir up, to energize what his actions were. God energizes the spread of His will. That's what He does. Colossians 4 verse 3. God is in the door opening business to energize His will for the spread of His Word. Now that I believe is true. God is working His main point, His main focus through us, with His will, is to spread His Word. That's God's open door. So, what is the definition of the will of God? The will of God is that everybody know about Him and have a chance to be saved. That is the ultimate will of God. Now, that ultimate will of God cannot be stopped. In Romans chapter 12 and in verse 2, Paul was writing and he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God's will cannot be stopped. 
It's perfect. It's complete. His ultimate idea is finished. He's not going to change. This idea of what he wants, what he desires, is not ever going to change. It's perfect. It's complete. And so when I'm looking for the will of God, I'm not looking to change God. I'm looking to understand how I fit in the ultimate will of God. Now, here's where we come into some trouble. God's will, though ultimately cannot be changed, does not mean that God has never changed his mind. It doesn't mean that God has never taken a different path. But whatever path he took still ended at the same conclusion. There are many of these in Scripture. Let me give you two or three. In Genesis 12, when God came to Abram and said, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation, he had no children. He's 100 years old, going to be. And God had not fulfilled that promise. What was God's plan? I'm going to give a child to Abraham in his old age, and there's going to be my people, the Jews, will come from that. But now Abram and Sarah decided to go their own way. They thought that God's plan wasn't clear enough. Abram said, okay, I guess that means that the chief of my servants, who happened to be named Zerubbabel, his firstborn son is going to be my son. And that's the way God is going to fulfill his plan. So God revealed a little more. He said, wrong. Here, I'm not just going to give, make you the father of a child or of many children. You are going to father the child. Oh, now Sarah got involved. Well, obviously what this means is since I'm past childbearing age, what it obviously means is you're supposed to have my slave woman. And father a child through her when it happened. But that's not what God wanted. That was not in his original plan. God then said, wrong. You're going to father the child. And you're going to carry the child. Really? Yeah. And it happened. But now God's original ultimate plan to create the Jewish people, while it also happened, now God is also dealing with the path that Abraham and Sarah decided to take. And so now he said to the bondwoman, I'm also going to make a great nation out of your son that Abraham fathered, Ishmael. And therefore, the Arab peoples were born. It changed, but it was still the same. How about Jonah? God's intention was to destroy the city. That's what Jonah said. 
And when he finished preaching, he sat down outside waiting for God to do what he said. But because the people repented, God changed his plan. But guess what? Years later, when they were no longer penitent, he destroyed the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Did God carry out his plan? Yes. Did it happen in the exact time and way he originally stated? No. But ultimately, still the same. How about Hezekiah? Hezekiah was told, you're going to die. Lord, I've been a great servant. Fine. I'll give you 15 more years. God said, you're going to die. But then said, I'm going to give you 15 more years. But guess what? Hezekiah died. His ultimate plan did not change. I would ask that you go back and read 2 Chronicles 20. The other account of the Hezekiah situation where the Bible says that Hezekiah in his pride after being given 15 more years was punished by God. He didn't want to die. He was penitent. God said, I'll give you 15 more years. And sometime in that 15-year period, Hezekiah was proud that he had talked God into something. And God killed him, or he died. See, God's ultimate will is going to happen. And we're not going to change that. But it's the day-to-day decisions the day-to-day actions, the day-to-day opportunities that come before us that we want to say, God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to whisper in my ear and tell me, go live in that town. Go marry that person. Go take that job. That's what we want. I mean, if we're really honest... Wouldn't it be a whole lot less of a heartache if every time we had to make a decision, we could simply say, I'm listening. And God would say, here's what I want you to do. Now, how much easier would that be? That's what we want. But that doesn't develop anybody, does it? If a child is raised never to make a decision, will they ever be able to make a decision? So we're not talking about waiting for God to make our minds up. We're talking about how do I make up my mind in a way that I can know that I am still in the will of God when I make this decision. So let me give you a few questions to ask. Maybe tonight you're in a quandary. Maybe there's something big on the horizon and there are choices. Maybe real serious questions in your life that are going to cause you to say, 
I just don't know what to do. Well, let me give you some questions that you can ask. Because if you know what the potential answers or decisions are, if you have all of these choices, then you can judge these choices with these questions. Let's begin with this one. If I make, depending on the decision I make, the choice I make, will this choice or this choice or this one help my spiritual maturity? 1 Peter 2 and 5, Peter said, you are being built up a spiritual house. God wants us to be a spiritual house. God wants us to be a spiritually mature person, developed and ready for the Spirit to live in fully. We're being built a house. Now, he's talking, I think, individually and congregationally there. But God wants us to be mature. Oftentimes, the problem comes when we have choices to make, we think materially first and spiritually second. When we need to make a choice, when we need to make a decision, when we have to say, here is the direction I'm going to take, and Lord, will you please tell me what to do? If he's not going to provide a specific by slapping us in the face or whispering in the ear, I need first of all to decide which one of these choices is going to help me spiritually. That should be the underlying desire for every decision we make. There are a lot of decisions we can make physically, but we want to be spiritual. We want to make sure that we're spiritually better. So that's the first question we ask. And if I choose something that will make me spiritually better, can I not say that is within the will of God? I think I can. You know what that means? There might be more than one in that group from which we choose that would fit that. Number two. Which decision will help me or give me opportunities to use the talents that God has given me to the best? 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As each one has been given a gift, minister that gift to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God only gives us talents for physical purposes? You don't and I don't. But does God give us talents for physical and spiritual purposes, I think so. Now, he's not here. His parents are here. His in-laws are here. But we all know that a position like David McFadden has 
president of Eastern Kentucky University. We all know that that's a place that he can use talents that he has developed, talents that he has honed, talents that he has, and he's putting them to use physically, yes. But you and I also know he's doing it spiritually. That's the kinds of things, those are the kinds of things we need to think about. God gave me talents. Am I going to use them or not? And is in my decision making, am I putting my talents to use? Now, I know it's physical we're thinking about, but if you make that physical talent decision, but you can't use any spiritual talents at all, nothing to help you, maybe that's not where God wants you. Number three, will this decision or this one or this one challenge me? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I have learned that I can handle whatever comes in life. Because of the many visions that were given to me, God's given me a thorn in the flesh so that I won't boast beyond measure. My strength is perfected in you. My grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, I rejoice in my distresses and persecutions and sufferings. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's will absolutely is that we be challenged. Because only in challenging can we find where the flaws are that need to be fixed. Only in challenging can we learn how to develop what God has given us, the talents that He has. Make it be a challenge. I should want to be challenged. And I would say confidently to any preacher who wants to be challenged, he should desire to come to Richmond. I don't know a church that challenges a preacher more than this one does. <laughs> I just don't. Now, years ago when Austin was a kid, he asked me about a certain person who was constantly in Bible class saying things, and in his little mind he said, Dad, does he not like you? I said, no, son, he likes me fine. We're good friends. But he challenges me. We need to be challenged. If we're never challenged, we won't know what things we need to work on. We won't know where our problems are and where our issues are. We won't know how better to be. Therefore, Paul would say, I've learned. I want to be challenged. Number four, how about I ask this question? When I make a decision, when I choose this particular path, is it going to provide greater opportunities 
for service for God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul had gone around collecting money for the Judean saints and for others who were challenged by a famine. And he was praising those who sent money. And it says that God, verse 14 or so, God was taking the money they had sent and it was opening even more doors. It was doing more. People were saying, thanks be to God for the service to them and to everyone because the money they sent was creating more opportunities for service. If I have the attitude that says, I want to go, I want to make a decision in this moment that will give me more opportunities to serve the Lord, then I will know that the decision I make is within the will of God. There might be three or four opportunities, and this one over here really gives you an opportunity to serve God in a way that the others don't. Maybe that's a way you figure out this is where I'm going. Next, ask this question. When I make this decision, will it keep me connected to the Lord's church? This is one of those things that I've said for 30 years with our college students to come in here and get ready to leave. Because I've had too many who say, man, there's no church here where I am. Well, why'd you take the job? There's no church that I can be a part of. So why did you take the job? When you get ready to take a job, if you don't find out first that there is a body of Christians that you can be with, you are giving yourself a disservice. Now granted, you may not have but one option. And there may not be a Lord's church there. Okay. Then you be the Lord's church there. The question is not work or church. That's not the question. The question is, how do I do this and stay connected to the Lord's church? How? Because that's really what we're called to do. There's something about the reason why in Acts 2 and 47, when all of those people had obeyed and become Christians, the Lord added to them daily those who were being saved. And I don't think he's meaning he was taking numbers. It's 3,000. Now it's 3,007. Now it's 4,002. I think it means them. They are a special group. And the Lord is adding people to that 
number. You cannot serve God and love Jesus and dismiss his church. Period. You cannot say, I want Jesus, but I don't want his church. Because what you would be doing is trying to be a part of a severed head. And that is grotesque. I just want to put this severed head up on a mantle and follow it. The church is the body of Christ over which he is the head. Ask this question. When I'm facing these decisions, is this going to benefit me and my family physically and spiritually? You know, sadly, there are times when parents take a job, for instance, because it fits them, <clears throat> and they love it, and I want it, and this is what I like. And they don't even give a consideration to the spouse or to the children. When you decide to be a family, Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, if you don't take care of your family, you are worse than an unbeliever. Let me put it in another term. If you don't take care of your family, you are worse than an atheist. So how can you make a decision? How can you decide, I'm going to do this or that without any regard for the effect that is going to have on your family? How do you do that? Because I, I really want to do this. And the statement is, kids are flexible, and they bounce back, and they'll be fine. And, and if you don't spend much time with them, it's okay, because when they're older, they'll appreciate that you work so hard to get so many things. Nah, it'll affect them. You think about how it's going to affect your family, whatever decision you're called on to make. But finally, this one. Lord, I want to know your will. Right now, I've got to make a decision. I don't know what to do. I have this, this, and this. Maybe even I've narrowed it down. I've gone through all of these questions, and I've narrowed it down to these two. Lord, just tell me which one. Maybe then you could say, which one of these will cause me to be yoked with unbelievers? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, oftentimes that passage is used in reference to marriage. Well, it never was intended that way. The word yoke there, that word bond, never used for a marriage in the New Testament. There's another word for bond that is. But in a generic way, it could include that. But here's what he's really saying. Here's what he's really saying. Are you going to be in a, situ a position that 
somebody else will control your spiritual life. That's being yoked with an unbeliever. All of a sudden, they've taken my spiritual life away and I don't control it anymore because I made this decision. Well, then you made the wrong one. Get out. Start over. Don't get yoked with unbelievers. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have anything to do with people who don't believe. Paul didn't say that. In chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he said, I didn't tell you to keep away from people in the world who are these kinds of things, because then you'd have to leave the world. But I did tell you to have no fellowship with people who have these things and call themselves brothers or sisters in the Lord. Almost, well, I would say, absolutely. Whatever decision you make, you're going to be in the presence of and working with and around people who are not Christians. We just know that. But as long as they don't control your spiritual life, maybe a little further, as long as they don't create an atmosphere where your spiritual life is constantly beaten up and you can't handle it, it would make no sense, would it? For an alcoholic to be a bartender. Does that make sense? Makes no sense. In the same way that I should not want to be around believers in a way that tears down my Christian life. Because they are now in control, not me. In closing, let me say it this way. <clears throat> Oftentimes, it seems... When we say, God, show me what is your will, we're saying, God, I have three open doors right here, or three doors right here. Open one for me, please. I don't believe that's how God operates. I believe those three doors are there because that's how God operates. You, you are asking and seeking, and God had three doors placed in front of you. Now you get to choose to knock. Whichever one of these three are still in the mix, all three of them are in the will of God. So you can be confident. When you've gone through this process and you've narrowed it down and you have these three options still standing, you can be confident that any one of these is in the will of God. So just go. Maybe then you can say, they're all in the will of God, but I like this one better. Take it. This one offers more money. Take it. This one puts me in the place where I want to live. Take it. This one is what my family would really enjoy. Take it. But don't stress over which of the three. God gave you all three. Now just pick one. And then we don't have to be worried over whether we're making a choice that is God's will. Hope that helps. Hope it gives you some peace.
because I think that's how God wants us to see it. Tonight, if you're not a Christian and you want real peace, it's time to be His child. That's His will ultimately for you. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.